Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're all having a superb morning. I'm watching, I put a new feeder out, and the Blue Jays are somewhat, uh, I don't know that they're frightened of it, but they're wary of it. I put peanuts in there, which is their favorite, but they're kind of avoiding it. They fly in close, and they gather, and they make those J sounds, and uh, I'm sure they're talking it over, and pretty soon they'll be wolfing down all the peanuts. But it's uh, it's interesting to notice how... Uh, how wary they are of that new feeder. There's something in that new feeder that's just telling them, um, go back. It's Do a, you think a there's a hawk bed. in the yard or something maybe that's scaring them off? Oh, no, they're at the other feeders. Oh, so they're okay. having a high old time. <laughs> but it's just when they fly in by this one feeder, they say, whoa, we're not going there. I don't know what that is, but it's... Al, you know, it's it's did, different. Did you give them stale peanuts? Maybe they're protesting. <laughs> Yeah, I just took it. It's a brand new bag, so I'm assuming they're good peanuts. It's odd that most of the peanuts I get are sizable, and of course they like big peanuts Mm -hmm. away, but these are tiny little peanuts. It's from the same company, same bag, but they're they're little, so there's a lot more in there, which I'm thinking maybe is a a good thing because they'll get to have more of them, but... Maybe that's the reason. They're just saying, you know, that's not our, our regular peanuts. We, Maybe it's too much what... work for getting those little ones, and they say, nah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. So I'm kind of riveted on this new <laughs> feeder. To see. It's kind of nice not to have a uh, a cold day or a snow-and-tell day. Uh, boy, there for a while, everybody was... You know, you get an email saying, how much snow did you get? And, of course, none of us have any idea for the most part. But it's uh, I'm looking out, and the Blue Jays are not puffy now. It helps to be fluffy in mm. cold weather, and they don't need to be because it's so nice and warm out. And watching birds is such a fabulous experience. It's the wonders of the universe unfold right before my very eyes. And the birds in my yard, they really appreciate curbside service. So I go and I fill the feeders, and they come in. They're like vending machines for the birds, only they don't have to pay anything other than just to be there. I watched a hairy woodpecker put sunflower seeds into the bark of a tree and then hammer them open this morning. And that attracted the interests of the Blue Jays much more than my new feeder did. They were just curious to see what this woodpecker was up to, what it had, what they might steal from it. Uh, I'm sure if the woodpecker, uh, right after it left, they flew in and just checked in the bark there to see if it left anything. You know, it's it's like us when our species, back when we filled restaurants, we looked around to see what looked good going into other people's mouths, and mm-hmm. I think that's what they're doing. And I've got, uh, I had a couple bird window feeders fall off in the cold. I don't, they, I think they're great for birds and for people who are prone to stir craziness or cabin fever, and they adhere to the window by suction cups and the window needs to be clean and it helps the suction if the glass is warm so i had to wait till it got above freezing and the sun was shining on it and i put a little i spread vegetable oil lightly on the suction cup rims to enhance the uh, elasticity or the adherence to the glass I have a heated bird bath going here i spread uh, i spread i it's a recycled 
dog food dish. And birds can use snow and ice as a source of water, but it expends precious energy to convert it to water. In heated bird baths, they don't create warm water, but they keep it from freezing. And if you don't have a heated bird bath, you can offer fresh water in the early morning and right before dark, because those are popular times birds want water. And we talked about this last week. And somebody, uh, a friend said she had heard that the steam from the bird bath had got on a cardinal, and the cardinal had some problems. But you know, I think maybe the cardinal might have had some problems before. Healthy birds seem to be okay, and I don't see all that much steam coming off mine, to be honest. Uh, great horn owls are incubating eggs now, and it just uh, they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the young aren't free of parental care until sometime in October. So great horned owls have the most diverse diet of all North American raptors. Their principal prey items are rabbits, mice, voles, hares. And a, kind of a surprising thing, uh, eagles use this, uh, this for one of their primary food items for the young in the nest. Coots, American coots, mud hens are a big thing that owls love to eat. But their menu is long, 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 and they occasionally hunt in broad daylight, and they may walk on the ground to stalk small prey. And this early nesting gives the young time to learn how to be a good great horned owl. Uh, a nice, uh, you got a nice call from Ralph Gerken. Yeah, Ralph called, and he's read this great book, and he is positive that you must have read it because it's the kind of book you you would probably like. Oh, I know it is. It's a book. It's by Jonathan Slatt, S-L-A-G-H-T. And I know it won the nation, was on the long list for the National Book Award for nonfiction. And it was on the New York Times notable uh, book list. And I know the Wall Street Journal is one of their ten top books of 2020. And it's Owls of the Eastern Ice. And it's about the Blackiston's Fish Owl. And the Blackiston fish owl is, has a six-foot wingspan, and it weighs 11 pounds, which, uh, depending on how you look at it, it's a lot or not much. But it's it's up in the area where it, if they were boxers, you'd be able to fight a bald eagle. It's in that weight. And like a bald eagle, it, it will eat salmon. And uh, a Slap studied it in Russia. He works for, oh, I'm probably going to, it's a wildlife conservation society, and he's, he spent like 20 years there. And I have not, Ralph, boy, thanks for thinking of me. I have placed it on hold at the library, and I was so far down the list. And after Ralph brought this up, I checked to see how I'm doing on that list. You know, it's like waiting to get a vaccination. Uh, there's still four ahead of me, and some eight weeks out yet on getting this book. But I've I've been on that list. I don't know how long a list they keep, but I've been on that list for quite a while. I'm moving on up, so I'm looking forward to reading it. And thanks thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Got a nice note from Rick Bone of uh, North Dakota. He lives out by oh, I'm not gonna. He's out by Carrington, and I forget the name of the little town. I want to say Woodridge, and I know that's not right. 
but for listening. Uh, just thanks, Rick. Uh, Rick Draper of Albert Lee said, I was just getting good fox shots, and deer rolled into the second feeding. The fox, he has gray foxes. Uh, the fox skulked off quickly, drat. I now see the value of deer stands. I can go upstairs of the house and watch birds eye 11 feet above. They don't seem to pay any attention to me when I'm above them. I'm in the dark downstairs now, but using this electronic gadget with light on my face, moving, etc., and they're getting more or less used to the scene. Several bucks are jockeying around. There's a pecking order. They eat less and mess around more. I thought that better for females to get more food. Males being idiots once again. Grandma said one boy, one brain. Two boys, half a brain. Oh, dear. Three boys, no brain. Oh, dear. <laughs> And he says that applies to bucks, apparently, too. Uh, they discover the food, and usually first in each evening to belly up to the seed bar. I wonder if the fox are a mated pair. I'd bike to local state park. He went out to uh, Myrie Big Island. It has some wonderful trails, not only for biking, but for hiking. He said, I saw a flock of robins on February 28th, several hundred by the edge of the road where snow melted, looking for food. Personally, I don't ever recall robins back here this early, usually March 5 as early and mid-March norm, I think. The bald eagle in State Park is uh, on nest in considerable wind this day, but they're used to that with nests up so high. Are they starting their egg family in late February? Uh, first on the uh, robins, Rick, uh, spring, spring migration tend to follow the 37-degree isotherm, and that's we see those weather maps with those lines, temperature lines. And it, so it's a line on a weather map showing where the average day-night temperature is 37 degrees, and worms are emerging. So more and more males get too restless and territorial. They feel uh, uncomfortable in the flock, and then they burst into occasional songs, making their flock mates more anxious, too. Then everybody's spreading out and singing. Uh, fruit is the robin's winter food source, so we have a lot of them that... Uh, uh, lot is a term maybe I shouldn't use there. There's a substantial number of them that overwinter here, and fruit is their winter food source. So as the ground thaws in the spring, then they switch to earthworms and insects. And so on the, while the robins may arrive when the temperature reaches that 37-degree isotherm, this is because their food becomes available, not because the robins themselves need warm temperatures. And as far as the eagles, Rick, uh, eagles in Minnesota typically begin nest building in January and may lay eggs as early as mid-February. So you're right on there. The eagles have a strong nest site fidelity, meaning they return to the same nest in nesting territory each year, particularly if they successfully produce young at a nest. Then they're more likely to return to that nest year after year. They might choose to build a new nest in a different area if their previous nest was unproductive, failed to fledge eaglets, or otherwise proved unsuitable. Uh, Mark Sorensen. Mark lives on Geneva Lake. Mark has a Hollandale address. He said he's having 20 pheasants come into the yard, seeing some bald eagles. His sister, last year, last summer, 
had young barred owls that were bouncing on a trampoline in her yard. So she took some pictures of it, I guess. They they would jump down from the tree and would bounce up and down on the trampoline and just playing, I guess, the young, young barred owlets. Uh, Rick Mammel said, Al, we have red-breasted nuthats. They're such a strikingly beautiful wee bird. On first noticing some quick, jerky movements, they appear to be hot embers darting around in a breeze, and I tend to feel as if I am in motion with them. It's such a delightful optical illusion. I just don't want to get motion sickness in the process. Uh, Jerry and Terry Schwarz sent me a photo of a red-winged blackbird female in their yard. Kelly Blake is a barred owl that's been sitting in their yard. Ken Nelson of rural Clarks Grove says I'm seeing some bald eagles flying over the yard. Tom Bovers of Rice County has been uh, birding heavy there. He's seen an American coot, a great blue heron, a brown thrasher, a Wilson snipe, and an American black duck, Andrew Longton of uh, saw a varied thrush in varied in uh, varied in Rice County, a varied thrush in Rice County, not a rice thrush in varied <laughs> county. Uh, Brad Abendroth saw a white wing crossbill in Blooming Prairie. There's a cool thing. Uh, Sand County is a foundation is awarding pollinator habitat grants to agriculture and science programs at uh, five high schools. So each school will receive native wildflower seedlings, a training seminar, and consultation. They get $1,000 for the school district or FFA chapter to offset project expenses. There'll be an additional 10 schools in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa that will complete products. They were product projects they were forced to postpone after receiving grants in early 2020 due to the pandemic. So a really, really cool thing. Uh, Somebody asked, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, about how feeders help birds survive winter, and I threw out a couple numbers. I looked it up. Stanley Temple, a University of Wisconsin professor, studied this 1982 through 1985, and he studied banded chickadees. And on average, 69% of banded chickadees with access to a feeder survived the winter, that's October through April, compared to 37% without supplemental food. So they, they still get by without us, but they get by much better if uh, we got some feed out there for them in the winter. A listener said there's a downy woodpecker that appears to be healthy but sometimes remains motionless at the suet feeder or on the trunk of a tree. What's it doing? You know, woodpeckers seem fast flyers to us. We watch them and they go, man, we mm-hmm. say, yeah. That's, they're much faster flying than we are. <laughs> they, but they aren't the fastest flyers, which means if you're a little downy woodpecker and you notice you see an occipiter, you know, a cooper's hawk or a sharp shin in the yard. Do you make a flight for it? You know, that's probably not going to work because that thing is going to be able to fly you down. So your best defense is to freeze in place and hope that you escape 
that exhibitor's notice. So that's what it's probably doing. And sometimes it doesn't see the bird, but it hears other birds saying, oh my goodness, there's a hawk here, this is terrible. So it's kind of reading the mail, the email of other birds and saying, boy, I can't, uh, listening in on telephone conversations. Uh, the same listener said, did John James Audubon believe that hummingbirds migrated on the backs of geese? You know, I can't say that's true. I, I didn't know the man, so I really don't know. And I've never talked to a waterfowl hunter who's found a hummingbird hitchhiking on a goose. I don't know how that hitchhiking myth started or why it endures. I suspect it was because people couldn't understand how a tiny bird like a hummingbird could fly such long distances all on its own. And I know if I were a hummingbird, I'd want a free ride. But hummingbirds and geese don't migrate at the same time or to the same places. Because we see in a lot of we see a lot of Canada geese around here, and some of them just still move south a little bit. Uh, so it'd be tough if you're a hummingbird; you'd have to sit on that flight. We we don't like that sitting out there in a tarmac. They'd have to sit a good share of the winter. And geese do not serve meals on their flights either, so that'd be kind of a bummer if you're a hummer. Uh, a couple of really interesting stories came out. The railroad crews. They use explosives sometimes in the north to provoke small avalanches just to to get ahead of problems. And they were doing this in British Columbia, and an onlooker noticed that an elk had been engulfed in a wave of white get under the avalanche. So he recruited a buddy, and they went to help the elk, and they found its face was peering out from the snow. Otherwise, it was immobilized by the weight of the avalanche. So the men got shovels, they dug the elk free, and it walked away. And they didn't request a tip. There was a two-headed bird, a ruffed grouse, was spotted in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. They say the bird eats with both beaks and can fly. Wow, what a thing to see. And the world's oldest known wild bird is uh, Mother Once Again, Wisdom. She's an albatross, hatched a chick on February 1st on Midway Atoll. And Wisdom is approximately 70 years old and has hatched somewhere between 30 and 36 chicks. So she has been, I hope they all remember her at Mother's Day and, you know, just get her something nice, whatever a albatross would like to eat, a fish of some kind, because that is incredible. And gray squirrels, they're an invasive species in the U.K., and the government there has been trying to lure the squirrels into feeding boxes with these small pots containing hazelnut spread. They use Nutella sometimes. Yummy. <laughs> well, yeah, I love that is, stuff. <laughs> it, it's spiked with an oral contraceptive for the squirrel. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Prince Charles played a key role in setting up the U.K. It's called the Squirrel Accord, which aims <laughs> to manage the negative impacts of invasive gray squirrels uh, in the U.K. Are they native here, the gray squirrels? I know we have a lot of them. They are here. Okay, so they're okay in here. In the UK. All right. Yep. Got it. And I've been in the UK, and they were just, uh, they were everywhere. Kind of made you, you know, feel like home a little bit. 
seeing all the gray squirrels. <laughs> you say, boy, I, I am home. I'm still in Minnesota. An interesting uh, question from uh, someone says, what does beaver scat look like? Uh, beaver scat isn't often seen because beavers typically defecate in the water. And beaver scat, as you might expect, it's predominantly wood material. And their feces disintegrate quickly in the water because they're mostly wood pulp in either a round or a elongated pellet up to, oh, maybe an inch in diameter. So their scat resembles wood chips or sawdust glued together, uh, usually a light brown or tan color. The Beaver Institute, yes, there is the Beaver Institute, says the preferred tree species of beavers uh, include elder, aspen, apple, birch, cherry, cottonwood, poplar, and willow with aspen, poplar, and cottonwood are their favorites. If the supply of their preferred trees is low, they will harvest oaks and maples, and conifers are probably their least favorite. I see them gnawing on ash trees because we have a lot of ash trees around, and they seem to really enjoy the bark of willows. I, I see a lot of places around lakes where they've been chewing on those. So it's a uh, beavers are... Uh, being reintroduced in a lot of places. They found that the beaver ponds uh, serve a purpose. So more and more places are doing this, uh, not just in this country, but worldwide, trying to reintroduce beavers to where they once were. Do uh, I saw an osprey on the, where we have our cabin last year. This is from Kevin. Do they eat anything other than fish? It's fun watching them fish. Yeah, osprey are they're amazing fisher birds. And the osprey is the only hawk on the continent that eats almost exclusively live fish, which accounts for, I've seen studies, Kevin, saying 99% of an osprey's diet is fish. But on rare occasions, ospreys have been observed feeding on dead fish. Uh, birds, snakes, voles, squirrels, muskrats, and salamanders. The osprey is one of the few birds found on every continent except Antarctica. And uh, one of the other ones that really comes quickly to mind is the peregrine falcon is another one. And a, another listener said we have screech owls that nest in a wood duck box. They go down by the water. We have a pond. Do they eat fish? Yeah, they're no uh, no Blackiston's fish owl, uh, much, much smaller, of course, the eastern screech owl. And they eat many kinds of small animals, including uh, mammals, especially mice and voles, but birds, insects, reptiles, amphibians, bats, tadpoles, moths, crickets, worms, and fish. So a bald eagle and an osprey aren't the only birds that watch fish like a hawk. With a screech owl, I think you could say if they can catch it, screech owls eat it. My mother used to say about one uncle, if you put it on the plate, he will eat it. It doesn't matter what it is. He doesn't even ask what it is. He just eats it. And I think we every family probably has somebody like that. <laughs> so a lot of great things out there to see. I was always kind of as a boy, I'd kind of pick at stuff. 
And my mom would say, eat like a bird? Well, no, because birds <laughs> just woof things down. I kind of picked things over, and my brother would pull peppers out of everything because he didn't like peppers, so mom would sneak them into hot dishes, and he would oh, he'd go through it with a fork because he didn't have a fine-tooth comb, I guess, and pick out those peppers because he wasn't going to eat those peppers. But every so often, mom would sneak them in there, and he would eat them mistakenly. So it's, I always picked at it, but boy, I had one uncle that just would, uh, you know, I don't know how many he got up to. I know thirds were just barely a start for him at a meal. It's a great day to be outside, a great day to get out there and, and just take a walk and, and look at things and notice how things have maybe changed since the last time you walked. If we walk the same trails, we see different things. We notice things that change, and it's a fun thing. Birders talk about birding a patch, P-A-T-C-H, and that means that they go to the same park maybe three days a week or four days a week or maybe every day, and they go for a walk, and they just see what's there. The next day they're out there walking, and then they see, well, there's a that's a different bird. I hadn't seen that yesterday. And each day they'll see some changes, and especially when we're kind of on the cusp of a different season coming in here. It's a place where you can go, and you will see robins come in. You will see different birds that will come in. You'll see the, the killdeer, the red-winged blackbirds, some of these birds that come in in the spring early. And you will notice them because it's your patch, it's your yard, and you will just notice changes there. And that is a pretty cool thing, just to be able to see different things coming in. You know, and that's how a lot of burgers see these different things. I'm I, sorry, Karen. I was going to say it's fewer than 30 days till spring, so will some of the birds start migrating soon? Will we see a bunch of them coming back yet, or is it still a little early? No, we'll start seeing them. Uh, Who boy, first? Who's going to be on the yeah. way? We'll see robins, of oh, course, uh, coming in, and red-winged blackbirds. We'll start seeing flocks. A lot of birds will see the males before the females. <laughs> Killdeer are one that come back pretty early, so it's always nice to see them. And those are some of the oh, a lot of waterfowl, and we're also already seeing a lot of waterfowl coming in. And waterfowl can, boy, they can just take the cold, and there's no problem for them at all. And if they can, uh, as water opens up, we'll see more and more things. We'll see loons and all these kind of things, and uh, it's, it's great to see them. Uh, Minnesota and Iowa are great places to see birds. Well, here's not a, only in spring. Here's a question. I've I've let about six oranges in the house kind of spoil. I mean, they're not rotten, but they've just kind of shriveled up. Is there anything, if I put them out now, that would want them or eat them so they don't just go to waste? <laughs> um, you know, there's always a possibility, probably not so much if there's some spoilage on there. Well, no, no, they're not spoiled. They're just shrunk, so they're not as moist. They're just oh, kind of, okay. they're just kind of, you know, dried a little bit, so they're sort of, yeah. They're not bad. Yeah, I I cut them in half and put them out there and see what happens because there's a lot of woodpeckers. Oh. The red-bellied woodpeckers love fruit. Okay. And some of the other ones will also eat it. So you you never know what's going to come in and eat it as long as the fruit is still good. 
and then uh, be forewarned that maybe nothing will come in and eat it because they're off eating other things now. On a day like today, they have a lot of, uh, you know, the grocery stores have opened up for them again today. There's a lot of natural foods that are going to be available out there. They can find berries on trees. They can find seeds along roadsides. And one of the other birds of spring are the horned larks when they come in in large flocks. And they're birds that we see along roadsides, brown above and light below, and uh, kind of fly ahead of us as we drive down the road. And to me, they are another sign of spring. Uh, robins, I don't count as a, a harbinger or harbinger, whichever way I hear it pronounced both ways, of spring because we see a lot of them pretty much here all winter. I look for the flocks of uh, red-winged blackbirds to be kind of a sign of spring. And then when the males uh, take up a post and start singing, that's certainly a sign of spring. And before you go, of course, our friend John from New Ulm uh, weighed in with a a question, or uh, actually a a riddle for you. And he doesn't say, like, Al's going to know this one, so maybe he thinks that you don't know this. All right. So, good. what is the snowman's pressure's off? Yes. What is the snowman's favorite food? What is a snowman's favorite food? I have no idea. It wouldn't be carrot. No, it's a chili dog. Chili dog. <laughs> and he also oh, comments. He says, "I do notice some birds like dry cat food." So there you go. Yeah, there's a number of birds that like pet food oh. and will come in and eat it so folks uh, thanks for listening you know it's 20 below something temperatures and we i don't know we're pretty good with them we might whimper a little bit but those cold temperatures are one of those things that make memories and i was telling a friend that the other day i said these are the things we we remember you know it'll give us something to talk about next summer we love weather stories these cold temperatures make memories i told him and he said i'll remember my eyelids freezing open Well, I didn't say they'd be good memories, folks. (laughs) Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Do something wild today, folks. Get out there and look at a bird. Well, thank you, Al. Always great to chat with you. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Thanks. Thanks, Karen. Yep, bye-bye. Bye.